Hello and welcome to the Inside Risk and Compliance podcast. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, Director of AJ Fox Compliance, a specialist recruitment agency focusing on all things law firm risk and compliance. I have seen so many people carve amazing and fulfilling careers in this space, and it really has been a pleasure speaking to people who enjoy doing what they do every day. However, one thing that has really stood out to me is how hard it can be for people to access the bigger picture outside of their team, outside of their firm. We created this podcast to share with you some of the insights, experiences, and stories of the most interesting people succeeding inside risk and compliance. Today, I am joined by Asal Haidari, Global Head of Business Acceptance and Conflict Management at Clyde & Co. In today's episode, we discuss how to deal with urgency in an environment where everything is urgent, the benefits of training your team to work under a total clearance model, and the age-old question in business acceptance, how to structure your team. We had a great time chatting today, so I hope you enjoy it. So Asal, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. It's fantastic to have you here. So for the benefit of the listeners, can you give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are, what you do, um, and how you got into law firm risk and compliance? Sure. So I'm Asal Heydari. I'm currently at Clyde & Co. as the mm-hmm. global head of business acceptance and conflicts management. Mouthful. <laughs> um, and I have been in risk and compliance since 2007. From the beginning. From the beginning, <laughs> which does divulge my age. But yeah, many, many years now. Okay, awesome. And um, before this uh, conversation, we've been talking off air about some of the, the challenges you've had in your new role. Yeah. Or it's not your new role, your current role, I guess you'd say, because you lead lead a team in quite a challenging environment. So it'd be good to hear a little bit about that. Um, so tell the listeners a little about the team that you lead, what they are, what they do, sure. um, and the backdrop of the environment in which you're having to look after that team. Absolutely. So I manage the global team, and we've Mm -hmm. got presence in London, Manchester, uh, Sydney, Kansas City, so follow the Sun service, uh, a truly global uh, team of people. When I joined, when was that, over four and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. um, there was probably 38 of us, and we're now 60 uh, strong. Okay. So, you know, quite a, quite a, sort of sizable team, if you like. Yeah. But it always feels like we could do with more people. <laughs> and what is what has driven that growth in? Is that just the growth of the firm as a whole? Yes, partly the mergers that have been mm-hmm. happening for Clyde & Co., um, yeah. which has been fantastic. Obviously, we've had to play catch-up mm-hmm. with uh, workload. But also, I think, when I came in, I had to sort of take a step back and look at how much we were doing in terms yeah. of volume and looking at the ratio of work versus, you know, headcount. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that sort of growth came from. Yeah. Um, and I guess we've been really lucky because we've got a senior management team that's very supportive. Mm-hmm. So year on year, I've been able to grow that team. Um, but yeah, at some point, they'll say, you need to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this might be a really basic question, but for those people out there who maybe don't work in uh, risk and compliance and just interested in the space, yeah. or maybe they are working at a firm that hasn't created a centralized function or doesn't sort of work in the same way, you know, what is it exactly that the business acceptance function do? Okay. So, I mean, each business acceptance team will do slightly different things. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a team that cover both conflicts and AML. Some mm-hmm. teams have a, a very separate um, separate teams doing that. But essentially, 
at any time that a partner, a lawyer comes in with an instruction, it goes via our team first. Um, and that's to make sure that we can, um, you know, screen what we're taking on as a firm. So yeah. we're checking it for conflicts. Mm-hmm. We're checking um, everything from financial crime elements that we need to look at, you know, sanctions, yep. anti-money laundering. Um, so we're doing all of that stuff. Uh, that And that's the main part of what we do. Yep. But obviously, when the firm goes through mergers, we're doing lateral checks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing other sort of vetting, uh, third-party suppliers, all that sort of stuff. So it's it's quite a lot that comes through. Yeah. And I'm imagining quite often when uh, fee owners are coming or, or bringing these um, new new matters or new clients into the team to check, there's presumably quite a level of urgency on their side to get working on it straight away. Yes. How does that um, present itself? And what are the challenges for the, the team of that pressure? So everything is urgent, always, <laughs> always. I mean, we used to have a question on the uh, business intake form mm-hmm. that asked partners, is your matter urgent? Um, we get rid of that question. We've got rid of that question because <laughs> every, that. everything was urgent. I mean, yep. the, the clients need things urgently. Mm-hmm. Um, they are com- constantly comparing us to other firms. And so, you know, obviously that, that pressure from the client comes ultimately to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a tricky one, I think, because you need to look at that urgency against the backdrop of what's going on. Are we comfortable mm-hmm. with what we're taking on? Yeah. And we need to, to do that level of, um, risk assessment before mm-hmm. we go back to someone and say, yes, you can take this on or no, you can't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes clearances can can take the time that it, it takes. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way that we can uh, bypass anything. But, of course, we need to be quick on our feet. Yeah. How do you assess the actual level of urgency? Because, you know, like you say, you've obviously had to get rid of that question. Yeah. I imagine for every fee earner, they're looking at it through their yeah. own lens you know it's quite siloed it's going to be urgent for them but as a commercial business mm. presumably some things just are genuinely more urgent for the business how do you how do you manage that you just know when you oh, look really? at when you look at the the requests and the instructions that come through you'll be able to very quickly assess if if something is truly urgent or mm. if something can can wait a little bit longer and and obviously there's there's tools in terms of how we work to help us determine that mm-hmm. um so the the starting point is to look at the practice group yeah. Clyde & Co. do, you know, lots of work in very niche areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as an example, we've got a cyber practice. Obviously, yep. that's going to be urgent at a different uh, level because yes. cyber attacks happen at mm-hmm. crazy times. And when they do, uh, you you need to be very quick. The client mm-hmm. needs a very, very urgent response. So we've developed sort of fast track methods uh, as to how we clear those conflicts. And that's that's very different to how we would assess other areas. Yeah. Um, but I constantly get asked if we can develop that across the board, mm. um, but then I would need 120 people to do that, so <laughs> not yet. And how do you manage the expectations of the business then? Because uh, where do they get their expectations of the timeline from? You mentioned before other firms yeah. that I've been at. Or things so, like. that, you know, uh, it's very interesting, but also um, paints a picture of how boring I am. <laughs> but so when I joined the firm, uh, there was already a, a sort of a policy around mm-hmm. turnaround times. And actually, I'm not a big fan of sticking to a time frame yeah. um, because I think that that just puts you in this uncomfortable space of having to constantly go back and forth and say, the reason it's taking longer is because of this. Yeah. I think if, you, if, you, if you're in constant communication with the partner, um, you can help them understand as to why it's taking the time that it's taking. Mm. And if the partner is sensible, which most of them are, 
um, they will understand that they don't want to go back to their clients with something which isn't going to be fully okay. So they yeah. want you to follow up and do the things that you need to do. But as it stands, uh, we've got a, a time frame uh, that we've essentially promised partners to get back to them with. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in the new year, I think that we're going to try and be a bit more pragmatic about time frames, mm -hmm. be as quick as we can be but not promise on the sort of 24 hours and 48 hours and um, because I just don't think that it works. So I'll give you an example where, yeah. where we say to partners, we will get commercial clearances through you. Yeah. We'll give you 24 hours to respond. People genuinely will take that time. If you chase right. them, they'll say, but I've got 24 hours to respond. Mm -hmm. No one needs 24 hours to who, respond. Who was it? Who, someone famously said that any task will take the, the the full amount of time assigned to it to be yeah. to be done. So, yeah, absolutely. So I think if you if you remove that and you say best endeavors mm. get back to us. Yeah. Um, I think you're you're more likely to have a partner looking at something going, okay, yes, no, I'm comfortable with this. Yeah. Um, but also I think, you know, at some point we want to move into that space where we've upskilled people in the team enough for them to actually do what we would call total clearance in yes. some areas. Yep. Um, and perhaps then they could help the partners a little bit with facilitating those discussions as opposed to using a sort of a checklist yeah. and going through everything and contacting so many people. Yeah. So I think it's, a, it's an interesting area and I'm always listening to see what other firms are doing mm -hmm. in this space. And just picking up on one point you mentioned there, the total clearance point, it'd be useful again, for our listeners to describe, you know, what, what does that mean? Mm. Um, and, and why is it something that we might be aiming for? So total clearance is essentially trying to, and this is my version of, of this, is, yep. is understanding what the firm is trying to achieve in, in terms of strategy, clients, mm -hmm. um, understanding the relationships we have with certain clients, who the main contact persons are. So typically you'll have a, a client relationship partner, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd be engaging with a very small group of people yep. rather than go to everyone that has a matter that's active on the system. Mm -hmm. um, some firms use the um, that approach of just having certain contact persons and I've worked in that sort of environment mm -hmm. and that's that requires, I think, the team to be very established in understanding what the firm is trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also means that your client relationship partners have to be very plugged in to the business acceptance teams, understand what they want. Right. Um, and so I, th I think it's, it's trying to strike that balance and having a team that's upskilled who understand what to look out for mm -hmm. uh, in terms of legal conflicts, understanding commercial conflicts. So it's, it's having that well-rounded person that can look at something and think, okay, I've got this, but this is missing. These are yeah. the people I need to go to as opposed to just going into that autopilot mode mm. and thinking, I'm just going to send 50 emails and get other people to tell me whether they're happy with something or not. Yep. Obviously, you can't make decisions on behalf of partners mm -hmm. when it when it's um, their client relationships, but it's just getting that right, that balance. Yeah, okay. And presumably, uh, people within these functions would be excited about the opportunity to have that level of involvement right is that something i, th that I think i think so and that's to? what we're hearing yeah um but there is always a nervousness i think um around are the teams capable mm. of rising to the challenge can we trust them to do it mm. and that trust element is really really key and that's what you have to work towards yeah and what is the 
what is the approach to that? So when you're saying the trust, you're talking about from the partnership or from the fee earners, right? From from senior management, from the yeah. partnership, absolutely. And are there tactics or tips you could give people in a similar position who are trying to secure that buy-in from the partnership? So I think one of the things that we're we're working on right now is is sitting down with all the global practice heads, mm-hmm. trying to understand what who are their main clients and their practice groups, what what are their sort of priorities. Yep going to those um, meetings or calls just to plug into what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. If they know that you understand and they know that you're trying to help them and helping them means giving an accurate response, mm-hmm. coming back to them quickly, having the right conversations, not contacting people unnecessarily. I think that's the first step to to getting that sort of um, trust between the team and and the practice groups mm-hmm. so it's it's very slow moving to get to that point but yep. they also need to know that you've got um you know people like uh, a colp if you've got that in the in the firm or if you've got yep. a conflicts lawyer who's an expert or an aml lawyer who's an expert that you can go to people mm. internally and ask for their advice so that by the time you go back to the partner you can say this is what we've done for you mm-hmm. this is why we're happy and comfortable you know, what, what are your thoughts? Yep. So you've done all your your work and you, mm-hmm. you're going to them with an assessment as to why you're happy with, with clearing their matter. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it evolves over time, but it, it takes, yeah, it, it takes a while to get there. I just wanted to take a moment out to thank our amazing sponsor, the International Compliance Association. The ICA are the leading professional body for the global regulatory and financial crime community, offering professional qualifications, world-class events and training. Go check them out online, and if any of the certificates or courses take your fancy, then you can get 10% discount using our code AJFOX10 at checkout. I, I always get the impression from speaking to people that it's it's a never-ending journey, right? You'll constantly be doing that. Um, yeah. We were talking earlier off air as well a little bit about um, the fact that it's you know it's been been quite a big journey, um, especially the the impact you've had, I guess, um, building the function at Clyde Co. But mm. there's been highs and lows. It'd be great to hear a little bit about both sides of that, really. Yeah, sure. So um, prior to joining Clyde & Co, I was at a magic circle firm mm-hmm. um, for 12 or so years. And, and I started out in 2007 uh, where things were still a little bit shaky in terms mm-hmm. of what the team were trying to achieve. Um, and it, it took a while to get that trust. I mean, I was there for 12 years and then I, I could see how we'd moved to that total clearance element where trust had been built. Yeah. Um, and so leaving that was really hard because I had come from a very established firm and then I sort of moved into a space that was a little bit new to me, new team, new everything. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of, I'd come in from the outside and, and then you're, you know, it's, it's hard to establish yourself in, within the team, um, build that trust within the team and outside the team. Uh, but it was interesting because it was a very different environment for me. And so initially I sort of came into that thinking, gosh, you know, is this, is this going to be tricky for me? Um, how, how am I going to work with this? In, in what way was it sort of different? Because it was just the, the processes, the policies, they were very different to what I was used to. Mm. But the main piece was perception of the team was very different. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the team was seen more as a... Um, as, as a little bit of a block, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is quite common. I we, think we it's still... a uh, business prevention unit. Yes, business prevention unit, often. absolutely. <laughs> uh, the police, um, yeah. you know, all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was 
not the easiest thing to go from that to where we are today. And mm. and I'm not saying uh, that we are where we need to be because we are definitely not. Mm. But the what we've achieved in the four and a half years is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and so that would be, this is a very long-winded way of no, saying, like that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my biggest achievement, I think, is to go into something very nervous, yeah. at times not thinking or knowing what I was doing, a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I spent my first six months, and I can say this now, thinking... Am I going to pass probation? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> and I know that you wouldn't have liked that because you put me in this role. Um, but but yeah, I think seeing that change, mm. um, getting the team to buy into me, which wasn't yep. easy at first, was was a game changer. Um, yeah, and and I remember very clearly because I was sitting in an open plan environment uh, back then. This is pre COVID, and. At 5.30 or 5.29, everyone in the team would stand up, put their coats on and go. Right. And I'd look around going, why is, why is everyone gone? There's so much work to do. <laughs> um, but today, you don't see that anymore. And I think that's a sign of a happier team. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I spent months thinking, how do I get people to stay beyond 5.30? Yeah. So as in, you're saying people feel more invested in their work? Definitely. Is there, I, yeah. is there anything that you would um, sort of suggest is the reason behind that? Or if someone else is trying to achieve the same yeah. in their team, I think everybody we know who's running yeah. a business acceptance function. I think that. I think the key thing is, is that the people need to understand the value that they're adding. Mm. You can't quantify how much you're saving the business from fines, reputational damage, you know, all of that stuff. Mm. Um and, it, and it's a thankless job. I was going to ask about that mm. earlier when we were talking about the demands from um, fee earners and uh, high levels of expectations and mm. trying to meet those. You know, and I, I imagine I can totally imagine the response you get from them when you don't meet the expectations. But I was going to ask: Do you get thanks when you really do meet the expectations, or is it just you've done your job? It's very rare to get a a thanks. Mm. Um, I think I think there are small pockets of of people who who do, and that's just the way that they are, right? They mm. they're very grateful and they're thanking you, etc. But I would say, and I always say this to the team as well, where you're not hearing anything negative, that's usually our thanks. No news is good news. <laughs> no news is good news, because people are so busy, and they when they hear that they can take something on, they're mm. off doing their thing. So I I think I've learned that that's that's a good thing yeah um but when they're not happy you hear all about it really well maybe i, I can't imagine we've got many fear in us who've got nothing to do with risk and, risk and compliance yeah. listening but maybe if we do uh, maybe some of them could take a moment and think about the person that's cleared their matter and, and oh, go and say thank you and just say a thank maybe that would make yeah. a, a big impact on that person exactly but it is it is my job to say to the team mm. You know, this is the value that you're adding. As yeah. a result of this clearance you did, this has happened. You know, you can, yeah, I, there are so many ways that you can tell the team mm. that their work is so appreciated. Yeah. Um, and it's the, it's the team that have to buy into me mm-hmm. and then everything will happen um, as a result. But they're, they're the main priority. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously then, then everything will sort of work its way out. And yeah, but it's... Um, I'm lucky in that I work in a, a firm where the partners are, you know, content and happy. Mm. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they have a right not to be. Mm. Um, 
but we we typically get to the bottom of the unhappiness and we try to strive for excellence and all that sort of stuff so we 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 work through it fantastic and on a bit of a different topic um we were also talking about team structure yeah i think nearly every uh, firm uh, who runs a centralized business acceptance function um comes across the challenge of how do we structure our team yeah. in the short term for the for the long term um what has your experience been of that challenge how have you approached it what do you think works what hasn't worked so I know that this is um, an area where there's two camps mm-hmm. um, and it's it's very interesting to me, even with uh, interviews, I always want to hear uh, from candidates, you know, why they're looking to move and, yep. you know, what their exposure is to working in, in conflicts or anti-money laundering. Some firms, and I don't know what the ratio is, you, you probably have a better idea, some, some teams have split their teams into conflicts yep. and, and anti-money laundering, others have got a combined team. I have worked in a team before Clyde & Co, which started off as two separate teams, then got merged. And then at Clyde & Co, it's it's a combined team. Mm. My preference is to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you provide a much better uh, service to yep. the business when you are dealing with the whole thing from mm-hmm. start to finish. I think in terms of the risk assessments and the regulatory landscape we're in, I think it's trickier to separate the two, but mm-hmm. I can be challenged on this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm open to hearing uh, what, what other firms are doing in the space and why they've gone for what they've gone for. But um, I think also from a recruitment and retention perspective, mm-hmm. people like to have that all-rounded experience as opposed to being pigeonholed. That's... You know, that's what our experience definitely yeah. um, is that there are a, a significant number of people who want to be undertaking a broader role. Mm. But there's there's mm. equally there are people who are very, very keen to specialise. Yeah. Um, out of interest, you said it was it your previous firm. It was originally separate and then yeah. combined. Yeah. What um, what caused that change? Was that I know there was um, I think there was a consultancy going around giving advice to law firms on this at one point. Was that on the back of a consultation or was that? I don't I can't remember. This is so many years ago now, but I. I think from memory, when we had the the meeting where it was sort of announced that this is what we were doing, mm. it was off the back of uh, partners saying, you know, we're getting conflicting information. We're mm. dealing with too many different people in one team. We'd like yep. to have one person helping us out. So I think that was sort of the starting point. Yeah. Have um, you found any challenges of having it combined? Well, I, yes and no. I mean, I guess... Um, you could say that if you separated it, you'd have uh, much more focus around subject matter experts mm-hmm. um, because they're seeing the same thing day in, day out. Um, so that that could be something positive if, yep. you, if you had separate teams. But um, I don't know whether workload would look different mm-hmm. if you had two different teams as in would things move faster um potentially i mean i I don't know um certainly from that initial experience things may have worked a bit faster in one area than the other but but ultimately i think it helps the business to know that they've got you know an all clear if you like rather than this bit is okay but this bit isn't yeah would do you think it would ever be plausible to maintain both. I mean, it seemed like a, a crazy idea, but to have, you know, let's say AML specialists, conflict specialists, and some individuals who do a bit of everything, or do you think that would be an unmanageable setup? 
Um, wow, that's an interesting. Question. That's a, like a, a a third version <laughs> of something I hadn't we, thought it's about. It's almost like why can't we have our cake and eat it? Yeah, um, and cater to everybody and their different interests. But I appreciate yeah. that practically might just not be plausible. Do you know what? I think there are people even in the team now mm. that prefers AML over conflicts because it's meatier. It's more mm. interesting. Yeah. Um. So maybe. Is that the trend you've seen then in terms of interest generally? Because yes. that would mirror what we've definitely seen. It yeah. feels as if um, there is a waning interest, at, especially at senior level, in focusing in conflicts. And if, if you've seen that as well, have you got any ideas why that might be? So certainly from a Clyde & Co perspective, I think that the risk appetite of the firm is such that the AML piece is really interesting. Mm. Um so it's a pull factor. Rather it is. Than it factor. is. I think it might look different in different firms. So yeah. as an example, the the firm I used to work at, conflicts was much more interesting to me mm. than the AML was. Yeah. Um, because you worked on big corporate deals. Yeah. And a lot of it ended up in the news, and so that was interesting to be part of that. Mm. Um, so I I think it's to do a little bit with that too. Yeah. Uh, but. Look, I think I've also seen areas where you've got someone in, in who works in a, a split team, if you like, but says after a while, I want to move into conflicts. Mm. And, and the response is no to that, because if you open that um, can of worms, mm. you'll have people wanting to move across too much, and so then you lose people. So I think yeah. you need to find that happy medium. Yeah. It's a constant challenge, I think, for all of our clients who yeah. run similar functions. And I think to some extent, there has to be an acceptance that people can't always maintain their entire career path, yeah. you know, within one business yeah. acceptance function yeah. or within one team. But I guess looking at it from the other side, so people who are not yet working in a business acceptance function, um, maybe they're at the beginning of their career in risk and compliance, or maybe they work at a smaller firm and they're trying to work out where they are going to specialize or whether they are going to specialize. Um, why might you suggest to someone that working in uh, a global business acceptance team would be, a good career move and you know obviously we appreciate uh, Clyde Co is growing so feel free to yeah. give a bit of a plug to why we, why yeah. should they come and work at Clyde Co well they should come and work at Clyde Co because it's a fantastic team <laughs> um and genuinely I'm not just saying that because I am there and I'm biased <laughs> it's it's an amazing team mm -hmm. um it's a busy team but everybody supports each other yep. um there's I mean, there's so much varied work that comes through. Yep. No two days are the same. Um, and, and especially because we keep growing and, and we've got all these amazing uh, practice groups and niche areas that mm. maybe other firms don't have. So I think coming into Clyde & Co, you, you get some, not, not necessarily the mainstream stuff, but yep. a little bit different types of work that come through. Uh, obviously, insurance litigation is is a big part of what we do, but there's mm. also all these other little... Uh, pockets and especially with all the mergers and the uh, regions that we're sort of expanding into um, there's lots of uh, fun things that come through um, so definitely come and join us awesome well Asal, thank you so much for your time that has been so interesting really appreciate having you on the podcast thank you for having me thanks we really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it if you did please do us a huge, huge favour and share it with a friend or a colleague. The more people we can get listening, the more time and energy we can get into recording more episodes and getting the best guests and the most interesting stories and insights. I want to say a huge thank you to the ICA for their support. 
to Ty and Karem here in the studio, and a massive thanks to Kat for making sure everything runs so smoothly behind the scenes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on LinkedIn to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.